Good morning and Merry Christmas. We just want to thank you for joining us this morning. Now, Christmas is a time of gifts, and many of us probably have a wish list. Maybe if you're a kid, you you wrote a list of things to Santa that you want, or maybe you just kind of write a list of things that you want, you present it to your parents or your spouse. And I, I can remember as a kid, the things I hoped for were maybe a Lego set, a Nerf gun, or maybe a Batman action figure. That's what I wanted under the tree. But as I got older, it, it became kind of more practical. Maybe some gift cards, maybe some money, maybe some clothing or a piece of technology. Now, there are gifts that maybe if you've already opened presents, you've received and, and you're excited about, or if you're still waiting to open your gifts, you're hoping that they're going to be there. Now, Christmas, this is the day that we celebrate Jesus' birthday. And it's not that he was born on December 25th, but this is the day that the church uses to celebrate, to acknowledge that God put on flesh. He stepped into our world. So it's Jesus' birthday, we could say. And just like many of us on our birthday, Jesus actually wants a gift. And we might go, what could Jesus possibly want as a gift. This, this, this is Jesus, God, who is able to speak and things come into existence. But there's a gift that Jesus wants from you and only you can give it. Now, what gift is it? Well, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And so the one gift that only you can give to Jesus, that nobody else can give to him, is your worship. When we hear the word worship, we might think of what takes place on a Sunday morning in our gatherings. We, we sing some songs, we learn from God's word, we, we celebrate communion, we pray, we, we talk with one another, and then we disperse. And it's easy for us to kind of think, okay, there I've worshiped. My worship responsibility is complete. But worship is so much more than a, a song that we might sing or an hour on Sunday morning. In the New Testament, the Greek word for worship is proskuneo, which means to bow down, to kneel, to fall flat, to revere, to adore, to worship. And so to worship is, in other words, to recognize worth. Worship is to look towards something and to acknowledge in all appropriate ways the value of what we see. Poet Mary Oliver, she said, attention is the beginning of adoration. In other words, we could say focus is the beginning of worship. Now, Christmas, it can be one of the busiest times of year. Every weekend since late November and throughout December, there has been something going on for our family. There's somewhere to be. There's something to do. And I'll admit, I love it. Like Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year, if not my favorite time. But if I'm honest, some years I get in bed at the end of Christmas Day and I realize I haven't really done a great job of focusing on the reason that we celebrate Christmas. In the midst of the gatherings and food and gifts and family and enjoying all of those things, sometimes I've failed to give Jesus the attention that he deserves. So I want to ask you, have you worshipped Jesus this Christmas season?
And just for the next few minutes, I want to give you an opportunity to refocus. I want to draw your attention to three reasons to worship Jesus this Christmas so that he will receive your adoration. And so the first thing we worship Jesus for is who he is. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, it says, Mary will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, Jesus is God in the flesh, but if we were to describe God based off all the things that we read in the Old Testament, we'd think, yes, God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. And we'd go, God is powerful. But we would not go, he's personal. In fact, when you look at God, you can go, he can be pretty scary at times when you see him in the Old Testament. Now, if you want to explain something to a young child, or maybe you want to play with them. What, what do you do? You, you get down on the ground. You get down on their level. You look them in the eyes and you use age-appropriate language. And that's what God does for us in Jesus Christ. In coming into the world, Jesus reveals God to us in a way, or who God is in a way that we can understand. That, that God comes in Jesus Christ and he meets us on our level to reveal who he is to us. And if you really think about it, we believe the best things we believe about God because we see them in Jesus Christ. Yeah, we we knew God is powerful, but in Jesus we see that God is personal and he's knowable. We see that in Jesus, God wants to be in relationship with us. And in Jesus, we see that God is love. And it's only through Jesus that we fully comprehend the extent of God's love for us, that Jesus would die in our place on the cross. And so without Jesus, no one would have imagined God in the way that Christianity knows him. And so we worship Jesus for who he is, God with us. But we also worship Jesus for what he has done. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life, He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And so Jesus didn't come into the world just simply to check out the sights or, or to show us who God is, the manger was the beginning of a mission. And in this text, Paul writes about what Jesus has done, that Jesus saved us, he's broken the power of death, and death had power over all human beings because we've all sinned. And when we say it is like sin, we've, we've missed the mark, we failed to live in the way that God intends for us to live, we've broken God's law, and because of that, we deserve punishment. But Jesus came to save us, not because of anything that we've done, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. That Jesus was born, he lived a perfect life, he died on a cross to pay a debt that we owed for our sin. And so in Jesus, God has shown us grace. He breaks death's claim on us. He provides to us the way of eternal life. 
And so through Jesus, God forgives us. But as 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says, God calls us to live a holy life. Like God is the original gift giver. He, he gave us life. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he gives us the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit who takes up residency. He lives inside of us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus changes us. We, we become a different person when we know Jesus. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God doesn't just leave us as we are, but he begins this work of transforming us into new people. Like D.A. Carson, he, he talks about a businessman that he knew who, who, was, who was a racist with a superior and condescending attitude towards any person of a different color. And he made no attempt to conceal his contempt for people of color. He made crude jokes. He made cutting comments to people. And no matter how much people would plead with him to stop, they would try to get him to stop. He wouldn't. He just continued. But this man eventually became a Christian and his attitudes, his perspective, and his values changed over time as the Holy Spirit worked on him. And this man began to realize that he can't harbor hatred towards anyone since the Bible teaches that every person bears God's image, that they have value, they have worth. And Carson says that this businessman became genuinely caring and accepting towards everyone, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their color. And it wasn't government legislation that changed him. Sound arguments and reasoning didn't change him. Uh, Cultural pressure didn't change him. Emotionally charged appeals didn't change this man. God changed him. And Jesus can change us from people who are hateful to people who love others, from those who hoard and, and are selfish to those who give. Again, from people who are selfish to those who are selfless servants and, are, and more. And so if you are a Christian, I just want to encourage you, just take a moment and think about where you would be without Jesus. Think about where he found you and how far he's, he's brought you, how he's changed you and given you hope. And so we worship Jesus for who he is, for what he has done, but also we worship Jesus for what he will do. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21, it says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so the wise men, or the Magi worshiped Jesus for what he will do, not for what he had done. When, when they arrived, Jesus might have been as old as two years old. And, and what are they going to worship the toddler for accomplishing? What, what has Jesus done in that time that he's going, they're going to worship him for? And as to how much they knew what Jesus was going to do, we don't know but they were worshiping him as the newborn king of the Jews. And so their worship in many ways is forward focused. And just as we worship Jesus for what he has done for us, we can worship Jesus for what he will do. We can worship Jesus forward in faith, that God is a good God who has good plans for us and they are made possible through Jesus. And we see these plans um, in, in scripture through prophecies that have been made and, and promises that have been given and they've not yet come to pass. Like growing up um, at Christmas and New Year's and maybe birthdays, they, they would be big family gatherings for, for my family. 
And, and as the meal was kind of moving towards the end, my mother or my grandmother would say something to us like this, keep your fork. And, and why would they say that? Well, one, we didn't have enough cutlery for everybody to have something for dessert. And so I was like, you're going to need your fork, keep it. But it was this, that the best part of the meal was still coming. Dessert. I mean, it was the best part in my opinion because it was going to be cake or pie or maybe cookies or something like that. And so even while we were enjoying a good meal, I loved my grandmother's cooking. Um, I knew that the best was still to come, dessert. And for those who are, who are in Christ, in many ways we can keep our fork. Maybe life has been good and you've got no complaints. It's, it's been easy. You've been blessed. But here's the thing. God would still say to us, keep the fork because the best is still to come. But maybe this life has not been easy. Maybe right now you're in a season of pain and hurt and you're finding it hard to find hope. But God would still say to us, keep the fork because Jesus is going to return and the best is still to come. And God's plan is to bring all those who call Jesus Lord and Savior into his heavenly home. And there he's going to restore you back into perfect relationship with himself and with others. And all the pains and the hurts and the frustrations of this world, they will be no more. And whatever you envision that heaven is going to be like, what Ephesians chapter 3 is telling us, it's far better than anything that you've imagined or that you would ever create. And so in view of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he will do, we bring him a gift and we are that gift. Like Jesus wants more than just a song that we sing or a prayer from us or or some time on our Sunday morning. Like Romans chapter 12, verse one, it says, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so Jesus wants what only you can give. He wants you to worship him with your entire life. And Jesus alone is worthy of that worship. And so we remember why he alone is worthy of it each week in our worship services. And part of our our worship times is to celebrate the Lord's Supper And in in doing this, we worship Jesus for who he is. He is God who put on flesh. He is our savior. We worship him for what he has done for us, that he became human. He died a brutal death on the cross in our place so that we could be forgiven. But we also worship him for what he will do. He's going to return and he's going to take those who are his to be with him forever in his home. And so if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you put your hope in him, if you worship him as God, we want to encourage you to take a moment just to reflect on Christ's life and death and allow that to bring meaning to your celebration of Jesus' birth. 